Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem, exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Welcome to This Song, the podcast that asks artists to talk about the songs that changed their lives. Because really, songs have the power to transform us. They can open us up to new possibilities and shape the course of our lives. And in this podcast, we want to hear about those songs. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen. And in this episode of This Song, we're going to hear from three musicians, two are front people, the people who lead the band. They are Brennan Lee and Noel McKay, two artists who often write and record and perform together, but who also have thriving solo careers. And we'll also hear from a musician who doesn't front the band, but who you may have heard playing on some of your favorite records, drummer Lisa Pankratz. They all came into Studio 1A back in February and afterwards sat down with me for an interview. And I want to note that bass player Brad Fordham was also there and we did an interview But due to some technical difficulties, we lost the recording, which is a shame. And I will definitely plan on having him back on the show. So first up is Brennan Lee. Brennan is a singer and a songwriter and a guitar player. She tours the U.S. and Europe constantly. And right now she's actually in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign for a record she's making of Lefty Frizzell covers. Lefty Frizzell, who, by the way, was cited by another This Song interviewee, Pokey Lafarge. We are all connected through music. Anyway, uh, what you're about to hear is not about just one song, but about an experience of many songs that literally made her the musician she is today. So, ladies and gentlemen, Brennan Lee. So... My parents, um, never professional musicians, were big music fans when I was a kid and before I was a kid. <laughs> and um, they had a big record collection with a bunch of stuff in it. But my dad also was a was a, a gym teacher. And he, uh, being dabbling in, in music and playing guitar was something he did at home. But one of the things that you do when you're a gym teacher is you teach square dancing. Um, to elementary and high school kids in, uh, in, in North Dakota. In I, don't North, this is in North Dakota. I don't know if that's something you do here in Texas. But. Well, I grew up in Arkansas, so it's definitely something that you do in Arkansas. It is. However, I moved to Maryland. Not a whole lot of square dancing in Maryland. Oh. Well, we square danced every year. Anyway, my dad had a set of cassette tapes that he had made specifically for his square dance class that I stumbled upon while digging through the attic when I was probably eight or nine. Uh, I didn't get around to listening to them until I was maybe 14 or 15, but by that point, my brother and I had been playing music for a while. We were into some Delta Blues and some Southern Rock and some other kind of random stuff that was out there. But on these tapes was was Asleep at the Wheel. I saw miles and miles of Texas All the stars up in the sky Bob Wills. Bring it on down to my house, honey There ain't nobody home but me Bring it on down to my house, honey. I need your company. Well, I'm not bragging. 
Merle Haggard. It's a big job getting by with nine kids and a wife. Yeah, but I've been a working man, dang near all my life, and keep on working. Long as my two hands are fitting. Emil Harris. But it's all right, cause it's midnight, I got two more bottles of wine. Way left your turn, my head around. And <laughs> some other things like that. And and there was one tape, and it had uh, the farmer's daughter, Merle Haggard. It had no reason to quit, and it had Mama Tried. The first thing I just remember hearing those sounds and thinking, oh my gosh, because the country music that was on the radio at the time in the early 90s, mid-90s, was like, it didn't sound like Merle Haggard. That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, a little more poppy. Love it or hate it, but yeah. it, did, it didn't sound like Merle Haggard. And when I heard Merle Haggard, Hank Williams and some other people, I, I went, listen to all those sounds coming out. And listen to how naturally that man sings and how naturally he puts his words into a song. Like you would, you were speaking to a friend. That's how the songs came across to me. There's a circle people where I'm no longer welcome and I'm ashamed to say that I'm no longer fit and, and it, there was something a little foreign about it because I was a Midwestern kid and this was not Midwestern music but um and your parents really didn't listen to this wasn't old school country music wasn't something that they it was listened to in the house or? um they they did but it was sort of I don't, I don't think I necessarily picked it up till later. I mean, they would have little parties and get together and they would sing. My parents would sing together. Uh, oh, one cool. of the things my dad, my mom said that she, that attracted her to my dad in the first place was that all her friends were listening to rock and roll mm-hmm. in this, in the early seventies. And my dad listened to country music. Cool. So he was, he was, he grew up on a farm and that was just what he listened to. So it was there, but you really hadn't picked up on it until you found these tapes. And then all of a sudden it was like you had your country music like primer, like it opened up to yeah. you. Yeah. Like. And he had, he'd sung to me as a kid, you know, like every night my dad would get his guitar out and he'd sing like um, Wreck of the Old 97, Wildwood Flower, and th- songs like that. Um, but it didn't. It, I didn't connect that in my head with country music because what was on the radio when I was a kid was like achy breaky heart and stuff like that. So it, to me, I, I didn't. That, I didn't equate what my dad was doing with country music until later, and I went, "Oh, that was country music." And so after you heard those tapes, did that, did you want to like I became, play country music? I became a country singer when, when I discovered that stuff. And I, I never went back. This is what I want to do now. And I was a kid and I was, that was it. That was it. Never had any other path in life. From 14 on, that's it. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to talk about I love this. Is the stuff that I like really love to hear. So thank you guys so much. We must spend a little time apart. I met the cracks and all looking hard. So let me easy. We might do a little looking around. And find a lover in another town. Let me easy. It's a shame the way we left each other's hearts so ragged and scarred. And that's it. You hear something at 14 and your life course is set. That's the power, the serious power of music. Underneath us, you're hearing a song from the Brennan Lee Noel McKay record Before the World Was Made, and this song is called Breaking Up is Easy. It's super fun. It's a great record, and it leads us into our next artist, Noel McKay. Noel is an excellent singer-songwriter and musician, and he has a new record out called Is That Too Much to Ask? And you're about to hear about a group of records that influenced the sound of that recording. Hey, I'm here in Studio 1A with Noel McKay. Hi. Hey, Noel. So uh, do you have a song that's very important to you? Well, what, I, what I'd like to talk about, well, I have, uh, I'd like to talk about a specific year where a certain sort of, a certain set of projects all happened that influenced me a whole bunch. Um, I'm a songwriter and I have a new record. And I, when I started making the record, I realized that it was all, the whole thing. What I wanted to make was sort of modeled after all these things that I heard uh, when I was young, uh, from one year, when I was a little kid, my parents uh, got a, a cool new stereo system at a garage sale, and then they, I inherited the 8-track player, which wasn't very cool, but I also inherited all the 8-tracks, and some of them were kind of lame, like Casey and the Sunshine Band. I wasn't really all that into that. Or whatever, you know, but all the 8-tracks the, the that I sort of uh, gravitated toward were all these songwriter records from 1967 like Simon and Garfunkel um, bookends came out that year and that's one of the ones that I liked a whole bunch of Uh, there's a Harry Nilsson record that I liked a whole bunch. Leonard Cohen, songs of Leonard Cohen came out that record that year, and that record was one of them. Suzanne takes you down to her place near the river. You can hear the boats go by, you can spend the night beside her, and, uh, and you know so. Oh, yeah. wow. So you, you inherit your parents' stereo and their eight tracks, and you realize that all of this music that you were drawn to was from these songwriters who'd put out these records in 1967. And how old were you when you got the stereo? I was about 10. You're t- oh, wow. Yeah. And some of them weren't exactly from that year, but they were still in that sort of same style and vibe like Randy Newman, Sail Away. Tennessee. 
songwriter records from like that time period and so when it came time to make your last record which is that too much to ask which is out now right. um you did you kind of go into the record writing for it going i'm gonna make my 1967 songwriter record or as you were writing did it become apparent that like i am making like i'm doing this thing that i kind of discovered when i was 10 i'm making the record of the songs were all written so it wasn't written and like toward that but basically what happened was I was just wanting to make a record so that I could sell it at shows. And so I just took my acoustic guitar in the studio and sang and played and then just played some bass on top of it and, and had Brennan Lee, my songwriting partner and singing partner, come in and play guitar and sing and some mandolin and stuff. But as I kind of began to put it together, I realized that that's kind of the direction it was heading with the, the, the sounds of the reverb that I wanted to hear and the sounds of the bass tones and everything that I wanted to hear. They were... They they were very influenced by all that stuff, and so then we then I had my friend Rebecca Paddock, who's a great uh, violinist fiddle player, come in and she laid down some sort of faux orchestra parts where it was one person playing an orchestra part, and it just kind of was it, it was sort of emulating all that stuff from that that one little time period. That's cool. That's it's weird how sometimes music can get into you when you're young, like it yeah. becomes cellular, right? And then you don't even know it all, but but it sounds like it kind of came from within you like I need to make this record I need to hear these sounds because you had you had taken it all in when you were so young and those sounds seemed to me I guess those sounds were the best sort of framing for a song for the songs like you were writing for right. your record right on I love that I think that's really great thank you very much thanks thanks, thanks. very much to wrap his arms around you when the northers start to blow and to lead you like a yearling through the snow Come winter you will long for me, I know Man, I almost want to title these last two interviews Thanks Mom and Dad I mean, Brennan Lee and Noel McKay's folks handed them both hidden gold when they were kids and they are still drawing from that well of inspiration today I mean, you can really hear the influence of those 1967 records on this track playing beneath me, which is called Come Winter from Noel McKay's record, Is That So Much to Ask? Pretty cool, huh? And finally, we have an interview with someone who doesn't front the band. She is a drummer. Her name is Lisa Pankratz, and she was in the studio playing with Brennan and Noel back in February in Studio 1A. She's a great drummer. She records and tours with Dave Alvin. She plays with everyone in Austin. And she had a song of her own that she wanted to talk about, a song that still inspires her playing. Man, it's a hard... It's hard. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just things that influence me and why. I, I can't come up with a one of those light bulb moments per se, um, but I did think of a song that kind of just right now that it's not one of those ones I listen to every day, but I have to say there's a, there's a song, That'll Be the Day by Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye, yes, that'll be the day when you make me cry. never an aha moment but if I think about it I love those records I love that record it's almost cliche at this point which is which happens a lot of times to classic things you know um 
I mean, that's a thing that's become like part of the cultural. Exactly. And so I'm not like talking about something that's rare or, you know, anything like that. But if you listen to that song, a self-contained rock and roll band who wrote his own songs, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, he and the drummer wrote a lot of them that he doesn't get credit for, but. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. That's I another know, story. But, why uh, are they always doing Which is not drummers. to take away from him. It's not. A, he always said that, but, you know, publishing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, Part of what happens on some of that stuff is you listen to it and you remember that there was a lot of different sounds available. They were very young. And what it reminds, there's two things. That One thing I've always loved is when I listen to that record, I have to hear the drum fills just as much as I have to hear the guitar solo. Mm-hmm. That is a part of the structure of that song just as much to me as anything. And it's creative and it's different and there's parts and there's roles that emphasize into a certain moment, you know. And, and yet it's still not too much. It's still compact. It's classic. And, um, and I think about it and I go, well, that, that's a lot of the things that I've always loved. And sometimes I have to remind myself, uh, you know, you don't have to be a metronome. You have to not be outrageous in the wrong place, but don't ever get boring or bored with, you know, be alive within the moment of the song, you know. Yeah. And and I've always loved, you know, songs where the parts are, are intentional. I mean, even if they were accidental in the first place, there comes a point when if you don't hear that that fill, you're going, ah, I didn't play the song, you know? <laughs> totally. And uh, and so I love Jerry Allison's drumming, and I love it on that record, most all those records that they did. And so when, and, you're, uh, when, you're, when you are drumming, is that the mindset you try to keep? Yeah, like, pretty much. Be in yeah. the moment and don't... I want to be in the moment. It's not just about time. But at the same time, if there's a part that, that invites itself and is, and is cool, to not be afraid to do it. Because, you know, I think people got real married to their clicks and real married to smoothness and real married to not, you know, coloring outside the lines. And real married to like weird genre stuff. Like I feel like in early rock and roll, it wasn't a codified exactly. genre. It All wasn't like this is how you play a rock and roll song. This so is available and we can use it like, if we want. Exactly. Yeah, I people mean, were drawing from everything. And so sometimes those early rock and roll absolutely. drum beats like... Yeah, well, because they were, were like, still, oh, that's like a jazz, like almost. They were coming, yeah. a lot of the guys were coming, because you didn't, if you were a drummer, you were either in a jazz band or a marching band for a long, or, or you know, the, the, the swing bands that accompanied strippers and things like that, <laughs> you know. And so a lot of those parts made their way into that early R&B and rock and roll, you know. And, and, and that's another thing I really love is the way that it's different and the backbeat is fatter, but at the same time, you know, the drummer can bring in a piece of a song the way a guy would have done in the Benny Goodman Orchestra or something. You know, there's accents, there's punches, there's things that can be in there, and then you just can add to it that more primal kind of beat that made it rock and roll. Man, you yeah. make me want to go back and so. listen to That'll Be the Day and like listen I know, for it to the so drums, much fun. It's you so know? Because I, I know, because you everybody, of course, thinks of the, the guitar part naturally. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's some cool drumming in there too. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to go check it out. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Town and I got the backsliding blues. I got the backsliding blues. Got by the threes and twos. Man, I love hearing players talk about playing. I don't know about you, but it's just one of my favorite things. And full disclosure, I'm actually 
married to a drummer, so I do get to hear about it quite a bit. But I love the difference in perspective that you get from a player, say, than from a songwriter. Um, like I had really never thought about the drumming in That'll Be The Day, but when you listen to it, it's really brilliant. And speaking of drums, this is Lisa Pankratz playing drums on Brennan Lee's Backsliding Blues from Brennan's record, The Box. We are all connected through music, like I said. And that's it. We have come to the end of yet another This Song episode. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9. The interviews were recorded by Cliff Hargrove and produced and edited by myself with help from David Sanger. Our theme song is Mahout by Hardproof Afrobeat. If you'd like to hear the Studio 1A session that Brennan and Noel and Lisa and Brad, who I interviewed but didn't make it. Sorry, Brad, we'll do this again. Well, if you want to hear the session that they all played, you can go to the This Song page at KUTX, and I will provide you with a handy link. I will also put a link to Brennan's Indiegogo page. Like I said, she's raising funds for a new record where she sings the songs of Lefty Frizzell. And Noel McKay came into KUTX and did a DJ set as part of our My KUTX program, and I'll give you a link to that, too. You can email us with any ideas or suggestions to this song at KUTX.org. Follow us on Twitter at this song, KUTX. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And we actually have a couple of podcasts here at KUTX. We've got Liner Notes and the Austin Music Minute and Song of the Day. You can subscribe to all of those on iTunes, actually. And, you know, hey, if you're over on iTunes subscribing we'd love a rating or a review it feels really weird to ask but anyway okay well hey thanks a lot for listening i'll talk to you next time KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.